The Gist is brought to you by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer and save up to 80% compared to a postage meter. Sign up for Stamps.com and get a four-week trial and a $110 bonus offer when you use the promo code THEGIST. And buy Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code GIST at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Wednesday, November 11th, 2015. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Another Republican debate, another ratings record. Variety, GOP debate ratings, Fox Business Network draws record 13.5 million viewers. Question, as it always is the question with me, what did it beat? What was the last show to hold the ratings record on Fox Business? Stuart Varney pressing the COO of 3M on restatement of second quarter earnings? Or was it their longtime morning man, Don Imus, that time he found some lumps in his oatmeal? Or was it this actual Fox Business Channel show, Saturday mornings at 11, The Sensibles, C-E-N-T-S-I-B-L-E-S, The Sensibles, superheroes whose day job is... Bank employees as they fight the evil menace of the overregulator with the powers of trickle down and the credit default swapinator. No, but the actual details are also pretty crazy about these bank employee superhero characters. Six heroes Toronado, Hurlwind, Ursa Major, Velocirabbit, Greenback, and Aquatique thwart evildoers like the Liquidator, the Creditor. Or, in this episode, a giant metal bird thing. The creature was created from a coin. Money. So, where is the only place money can grow? I think you mean a bank, boss. Sounds like this quarter's at headquarters. Oof. So, the debate beat that in the ratings. It also beat expectations, I suppose. The candidates liked it a little better. And one reason I think the candidates liked it is that the questions very much fit into their worldview to the point where they were a little bit inaccurate. So what I like to do, and I'm going to do this in the spiel today, you know, I don't just go over every single thing and fact check it. You could get that elsewhere. All the highlights, all the zings, that ain't me. One debate we talked about how Hillary Clinton stopped yelling a few years ago. One debate we talked about how the candidates say that when they really should say who. So in this debate, I'll touch upon a few things in my spiel, but mostly we're going to do some fact checking on the questioner's questions. But first, Maria Konnikova is here to discuss old eggs. No, no, no. We already did expiration dates, but now we're going to talk about old eggs, old sperm, and the truth about your ticking biological clock. Fertility is that bullshit. You know that confident feeling you get when you can do things with just the click of your mouse? Stamps.com knows that feeling. Stamps.com is here to enable that feeling, as far as mailing and shipping goes. Stamps.com turns your PC or Mac into your own personal post office that never closes. It is quite convenient. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your computer and a printer. But wait a minute. How much, how much does it weigh? Doesn't postage go by how much it weighs? I'm getting to that. I'm going to tell you about a special offer. 
you go to stamps.com. Use the promo code the gist for a special offer. It's a four-week trial. It's a $110 bonus offer. You ready for that question of how much it weighs? It includes a free digital scale. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the gist. That's stamps.com and enter the gist. And now a very fertile topic that we're going to cover on Is That Bullshit? You know where I'm going with this. It's fertility. So many questions around fertility. Is it because my girlfriend's 36? I don't know. I just think it's in the air. Anyway, here now, Maria Konnikova. She is the author of Mastermind, How to Think Like Sherlock Holmes, and more to the point, The Confidence Game. She comes in and sets us straight with these Is That Bullshit segments. Hello, Maria. Hey, Mike. So... Are you a mother? No. Might you one day be a mother? Probably not. All right. It is an interesting question because I'm I'm going to give another big revelation to our loyal just listeners. I'm 31. Uh-huh. So I'm at a point in time where, you know, you start thinking about if I want kids, this seems like a pretty good time this in the next few years because mm-hmm. common wisdom and what people normally say is 35. You yes. Know, big, big red flag. Run for president, have Exa- a kid. Exactly. Yeah, all that. Exactly. So it is a question that I've had to think about. And I think that a lot of women my age have to think about. What are the real statistics? Sure, it gets harder, but what does harder mean? How much mm-hmm. harder? Mm-hmm. Does it mean you have to go through that horrible, laborious process of having sex three times as often as you would it's if terrible. you were just in your 20s? Terrible. I know. Life is tough. So what does it mean? What does it mean that women... Well, it, first of all, is it true that you really are a woman, her fertility declines past, is there a landmark age? Well, it's true that women's fertility declines, period. And the decline actually starts in the 20s. Uh-huh. So the easiest time to conceive is probably teens and early 20s, mid-20s. After that, problems start going up. So after 25, but before you hit 30, and by the way, these are all averages. Mm -hmm. This really depends on the woman. And there have been cases of women having kids into their 50s. So, So it depends on that. We're not saying you absolutely have to have a kid sure. at this age, but talking an average. As, as, as always during these segments, yes. Maria Konnikova backs up her giant dump <laughs> truck of caveats and qualifiers, but such is the scientific requirement. I understand. So up until the age of 30, the difficulty in conceiving usually hovers around 10%. Mm-hmm. And these are people who come in and say, we want to have a kid, we're having problems. So 10% doesn't mean that during a woman's fertile period, 90% chance of conception. It means no. that women, 10% of women will will report however they define, we're trying to have a kid and maybe it didn't work. Exactly, for a few okay. exactly, exactly. And for some women, you know, trying for a year is totally fine, which by the way, it, it absolutely is. Others mm-hmm. start panicking after they can't conceive after the three times a week three times or three times a day i'm not sure which three times you were referring to um we don't have to clarify (laughs) i meant attempts at fertilization (laughs) during the fertilist period for three consecutive months excellent except for the time when the husband was away on business yes so then between 30 and 39 that percentage goes up to 25 percent, so a quarter of women but by the way this doesn't cut off the that crucial 35 age. If we do make that cutoff, though, we do see a pretty big rise between 30, 34, and 35, 39. Again, ranges, averages. 
after 39, so 40 and up, the risk goes to over 50%. Which means that half of the women 40 and over have tried to conceive report difficulty. Yes. Wait, but that means half haven't. Right. Of those, and that's of those trying to conceive. So, but mm. then, but then there are other issues. So the risk of miscarriage goes up a lot. Yes. Dramatically. So you might be able to conceive, but your chance of carrying to full term goes down. The risk of premature birth also goes up, as does the risk that there will be a problem in the birth. So the chances of a miscarriage go up with age. I think people know it, but do they know it, know it? No. So there was a survey done recently in Canada of about 400 women who were asked about different questions about pregnancy and their conceptions of pregnancy. And one of the questions was, what is the single largest risk factor for miscarriage? And almost half of them, the largest amount, said that it was stress, that it was physical or emotional stress. And the correct answer is that it's age. Um, And age is actually a much stronger, I mean, we're talking multiple factors, stronger risk factor than stress. I want to go back to the the 30 age range. I think mm-hmm. most men, women who are thinking of having a woman conceive when she's in her 30s, you're right. Early 30s, not panic. By the late 30s, there is panic. So let's try to break these down as specifically as we can. There is. I mean, 35 is there for a reason. Yeah. There have been a lot of studies that do show that that for some reason around that age, things really start to get worse. Okay. So there have been studies that have tried to figure out why this is, and there have been two leading theories over the years. One is that it has something to do with the uterine lining, so mm-hmm. it's harder for you know, a fetus to implant and to actually stay there. And the other, that it has something to do with the eggs, that it's harder to actually fertilize and have a viable fetus in the first place. And it looks like it's the eggs, mm-hmm. which is actually good news and which is why IVF can be quite successful because then you can implant a fetus and the uterus should be just fine even if you're older. Because what happens obviously with age is that the eggs div- have divided, right? That's the that's the process. And then with the increased number of divisions as we age, the risk of errors in replication goes up as well. So every time a cell divides, the DNA has to replicate. But with men, the, it's actually a number. It's low sperm count. Or is it weak sperm? Low sperm or weak sperm? So with men, it ends up that for a long time, people thought that there was that there was a problem just with women's fertility. That, of course. Yeah. And that this is how science goes. First, yep. all the problems get laid at the women. Then women scientists are yes. allowed to be scientists. And it's like, oh, wasn't all the women. Yes. And then it's totally cool if Charlie Chaplin has kids when he's in his 70s because yeah. he's Charlie Chaplin. And I, I guess that probably worked out just fine. I but guess. But those, were those kids really funny? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But what we've learned recently is that, first of all, that difficulty of conception is not just because of women. It's because of their older partners. And what happens to sperm isn't just sperm count, but it's also the exact same process of cell division. So there are more errors in the sperm as well. And so there's more of a chance that there's something that's going to be wrong with the fetus or that it's not going to be a viable fetus because of the errors in replication, which happen in men just as they do in women with age. The other thing that happens is progressive motility decreases, and that's how far forward your sperm can swim Ah. (laughs) and how how quickly they can get to that egg and fertilize it. Um, So even if you have just as many swimmers as you did in your peak, they might not swim quite as quickly. Yeah. So they might not, not as many of them might reach their goal. Talk about distance. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then there's also lifestyle choices for both men and women, things like smoking, drinking, marijuana. It's not a lifestyle choice, Maria. Has this not been drummed into your head? (laughs) Wait a minute. It is. So things like that, environmental pollution, there are lots of things that can that go into our bodies and yeah. that will affect the viability of sperm and eggs that have some things have something to do with us, like our choice to smoke or not to smoke. Other things don't, like where we happen to live. But can't they focus, can't they figure out how much of the, let's not say problem, how much of the infertility, let's be neutral mm-hmm. in our values, how much of the infertility is women and how much of the infertility is men? I don't mean on an individual basis. Sure, the couple goes in, they each get tested. But there are plenty of women who are trying to conceive with men who are not their age, who are younger sure, than Sure, sure. And and the risks that I've outlined for women do focus on the on kind of the women's ability to conceive. But it's really, it's almost impossible, I mean, right, to do this perfectly, we would need, because we're talking about couples that don't actually have reproductive difficulties in, in the sense of, you know, someone has, you know, a congenital defect that makes them unable to conceive, someone is sterile and can't impregnate. So we're putting those aside. Now you have a healthy couple who's just older, um, but unless we have that woman try out different partners, it's really hard to separate how much of it is her versus how much of it is her husband. Um, what we'd need is, you know, a woman with a 40-year-old husband, a woman with a 50-year-old, an exact same woman. Yeah, the exact then, same the woman. The exact same woman, then with a 50-year-old, then with I a 20-year-old. See, I could see those blue noses in Congress not wanting to fund <laughs> that survey. I could see them so, not standing in the way of scientific progress. So we have, I mean, these are pretty good estimates, but obviously there's... You know, there is at this point a lot of data, so you can say with some certainty that, you know, that 50% chance is probably women. But there's also now, we know, other chances that come from the men. So, for instance, with age, the risk of certain diseases from male sperm goes up by a lot. For instance, autism. Mm -hmm. There's now actually a lot of work, especially in the last two years, that's come out that links older parental age, not maternal age, to a 20% increase in the chance that um, your child will have an autosomal disease. Okay. From like 1% to yeah, 1.2%? Yeah. Right. That's okay. that's that's the exact... We're talking small numbers. Right. Um, just like with Down syndrome. So we know with Down. women... You always hear that yep. old sperm Down syndrome. Exactly. But and it still only goes from what to what? So according to the Mayo Clinic, the risk of Down syndrome increases with a woman's age because as we've already talked about cell division, improper cell division, risk increases with age. And so by age 35, the risk of conceiving a child with Down syndrome is approximately 1 in 350. By age 40, it's about 1 in 100. By 45, it's about 1 in 30. So that's actually a pretty significant rise. 0.3% to 1% to a 3% chance, Mm -hmm. which over an entire population is really quite serious. For the individual, I would say it should not dissuade But let me, yes. And And people usually don't have the choice of who the sperm donor is going to be. Right. And let me also give an asterisk, which is to say that the vast majority of babies with Down syndrome are born to women under 35, simply because those are the women who have the most babies. All right. So let's frame this uh, in the way we frame this. And let's just say women approaching 40 have a very hard time conceiving. And even if they do, actually giving birth might be difficult as well. Is that bullshit? 
No, on average, that's not bullshit. I don't know that I would say very hard time, but have a much harder time conceiving than they, the same woman would if she were younger. But the good news is our science has advanced to the point where, you know, if so, you know, as I said, I'm 31. I'm not sure I want to have kids. But if I want to keep that option open, I now have the option of freezing my 31-year-old eggs so that at 40, I can then have my own eggs Reimplanted, and then that risk of older eggs has gone away. No problem with that because of the uterine lining thing you were telling me about? Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. Cool. All and right. I can even implant a fetus. So I'm married. We could actually create a fetus right now with multiple donations from my husband and from me. And then I could implant that when I'm 40. And that would be even better because now we also don't have the older sperm problem. But if you do it, if you do the frozen embryos, Frozen eggs, got to write down who gets them. Got to decide what happens if you split up. Yes. Otherwise, if you're the star of Modern Family, your ex-fiance might write an op-ed in the New York Times. Absolutely. Be very embarrassing if it you would are be. Sophia Vergara. Absolutely. Um, and one more thing. Obviously, egg freezing is not just I'm going to go into a clinic and get some of my eggs frozen. It is something that you have to think about because it is invasive. Um, it's like IVF. You have to start having hormones so that instead of one egg, you suddenly produce more eggs and so that those eggs can then be harvested. If they're viable, wonderful. If not, you have to do it again. So it is something where you have to think a lot about whether or not you want to do it. And the other good news is, sure, the risk goes up, but there's still a good chance that you're going to have a perfectly normal kid yeah. even after the age of 35 and even after the age of 40. Yeah. So you have to, you know, you have to realize that at the end of the day, Recommendations are only that. Averages are only that. Risk factors for a lot of stuff are still pretty low. And so it's your choice when you when you decide that it's right for you. And nothing should be governed. No decision, I think, personally, as a woman, should be governed by a ticking biological clock. Yeah. And, you know, you can beat the odds. You can go through these treatments. You can freeze your eggs, your embryos, or just get lucky and not have any miscarriages, mm -hmm. not have any... Down syndrome. And then all of a sudden, you're there with a six-year-old, and he wets his bed and smears marmalade on the wallpaper. And that is considered winning. That it's is absolutely right. It's society we live in. And for hundreds of years, men have had no problems conceiving when they've been very, very old, even though now we've figured out that that's pretty bad. And there are lots of kids who are just fine. And the, uh, the male version, men, old sperm... A lot of complications with old sperm. Is that bullshit? No, that's not bullshit. Just like with women, with age, your sperm gets less viable and more likely to cause potential problems. Maria Kotakova is the author of The Confidence Game and Mastermind, How to Think Like <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. She does this with us, this bullshit-related segment. Thanks, Maria. Thank you so much, Mike. So last night during the debates, all the candidates were hyping their, their website. In fact, this is Carly Fiorina's play. She won't really give out actual statistics. She won't give out a white paper. She's just like, go to my website. Now, how embarrassing would it be if you went to the website and it crashed, or there was automatic MIDI music playing whenever you went there, or there were lights that could cause an epileptic seizure, especially an epileptic seizure of potential Republican voters in Iowa or New Hampshire? It's what Squarespace does. It 
avoids those potential seizures of swing state voters. They look professional. It doesn't matter what the skill level of the designer of the site is. And we know Carly Fiorina. She could do a great website, right? The way she ran Hewlett Packard. But could, but could Trump? Trump seems like one of these guys. How old is he? 69. I doubt he's ever owned a computer or really worked on a computer. But even Trump, even Trump could develop a beautiful looking website with Squarespace because it has intuitive and easy to use tools. You could get a free domain. He could name it after himself. He likes to do that. Get a free domain if you sign up for a year. So start your free trial today. I'm talking to you, Bobby Jindal, at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code GIST to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. This, I really am talking to you, Bobby Jindal, when I say this next part. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. And now the spiel, cheese steak debate. Yesterday on The Gist, I told you to watch out for some things. That Carson would fib, that Trump would flub, that Jeb would, well, just jeb it up. So let's review the tape. Ben Carson will say some stuff that's not true. Every time we raise the minimum wage, the number of jobless people increases. We checked it. Everyone checked it. It's false. It's demonstrably false. Rated false on all the fact check sites. Of course, the fact check sites also rated as true the Ted Cruz statement there are more words in the IRS code than there are in the Bible. Yes, that's true, but that wasn't Ted Cruz's whole statement. Let's play the whole statement. There are more words in the IRS code than there are in the Bible, and, and not a one of them is as good. Let me handle that last part about nothing in the tax code being as good as the Bible. All right, all right. Refund versus crucifixion. Which would you rather have? If we told you one was coming your way, which would you be happier with? Or let's go a little bigger, right? Here's the Bible. And let me quote from the Bible. I'll do this from memory. But if this charge is true, that the girl was not found a virgin, the men of her city shall stone her with stones that she die, because she hath wrought folly in Israel to play the whore in her father's house, so shalt thou put evil away from among you. Versus the IRS, unreimbursed employee expenses are deductible. Again, again, Bible, you get stoned to death for humping. IRS code, they allow you to deduct a receipt from Shoney's that your boss screwed you on. All right, all right. But back to Ben Carson. I'm going to put that one down that I said he'd say something wrong. I'm going to put that one down on the I correctly predicted a column. Let's play prediction number two from yesterday's show. Donald Trump will display total lack of knowledge about something specific. So Trump was asked about the TPP, and one of the first things he said was this. It's a deal that was designed for China to come in, as they always do, through the back door and tr totally take advantage of everyone. To which Rand Paul, who was right a lot of the time, but the audience booed him, so I guess we got to act like he was wrong and lost the debate. Anyway, Rand Paul said, uh, China's not part of the TPP, and that just hung there embarrassingly, or would have if Trump had the capacity for embarrassment. Finally, I predicted, Jeb Bush will once again prove himself to be terrible at debating. Well, he wasn't terrible throughout, but there was this moment. I was in Washington, Iowa, about three months ago, talking about how bad Washington, D.C. is. It was, get the kind of the, anyway, we had, uh... <laughs> and he seemed to just be saying, you know, this is where humans connect coincidences through humor. Come on, it's not my strong suit. Help me here. You know how this thing goes.
So I was right about these, these extremely low-hanging fruits of prescience. The candidates themselves predicted that the moderators would be better. I do think they were better, partly because they didn't interrupt the candidates with a lot of no-win-type challenges. No one is voting for you, John Harwood. But also because, a little bit, because the facts that they chose to cite reflected a not-so-factual but very Republican worldview at times. Take it away, Maria Bartiromo. Many economists expect a recession to hit the U.S. within the next year due to the weakening of manufacturing. So that was a premise that Ted Cruz ran with, that all the candidates welcomed. It's based on the premise that Barack Obama has done poorly with the economy. In fact, the economy is doing quite well under Barack Obama. So we switched to, well, the economy is going to do poorly. So is Maria right? Are there many economists projecting and predicting recession? Bloomberg surveys a panel of leading economists, 31 of whom they were asked in September, when will the next downturn hit? Of the 31, two said in 2016. They followed up more recently. That number spiked to four. But this wasn't a Bloomberg debate. This was a Wall Street Journal debate. Guess what? The Wall Street Journal also has their own panel of economists, 70-something economists, and they surveyed them. And 85% of those economists said no recession. Now, to be fair, I guess 90% were saying it a couple months ago. The economists also forecast 2.6% growth for 2016, which is the strongest growth since the recovery began. So it's true that a number of economists predict recession, just a very, very low, low number. I will further contribute to the fact-checking and vetting, not the answerers, but the questioner. Here's Maria Bartiroma again. Governor Bush. Yeah. Almost 40% of Americans are without a job and are not looking. Many have given up. That's what the participation rate tells us. And so Jeb Bush nodded. Yeah, this is pretty grave. But is it true? Is it true that 40% of Americans are without a job and they've given up? What's going on here? Well, it's true. There is this statistic, the participation rate, and it picks up people who've given up. The implication is they've given up because work just seems impossible. These are the sad souls that our economy has left behind. These are the wretches. These are the despondent. In fact, we have another name for them. We call them Grandpa and Grandma. More broadly, retirees. Retirees are counted in the Americans of age who aren't working. And as the baby boomers become retirees in greater and greater number, the participation rate statistic is going to stay quite high. Misleadingly high, I would say. Now, I am oversimplifying a little bit. There are other people besides retirees counted in that participation rate. And when you strip out workers of prime working age, 18 to 54, the participation rate is actually kind of high by historical standards. It used to be that there were a lot more than 40% of the workforce of working age who wasn't working. But that's because a lot of women didn't work outside the home. Now women choose to work outside the home or have to work outside the home, probably a little of both. But the vast majority of people not in prime working age, 18 to 54, who say they're not trying to work, say they're doing it mostly out of choice because they're caring for family members. The fair thing to do would be to note this statistic, see if it's anomalously high due to something that Barack Obama or Democratic policy or whatever did wrong. But the fair thing to do would be to judge employment by a consistent barometer. So that's why we have the unemployment rate. 
The unemployment rate is not perfect. It doesn't pick up everything. But like a scale that might be five pounds off, it is consistent within itself. It Just like that scale can tell you, if you use it every day, if you lost or gained weight, the unemployment rate can tell you what the unemployment rate says about the economy. And right now, the unemployment rate is quite low. It's not flawed and low. It's just low and low. Actually, if I were Jeb Bush, I'd say something like, I can assure you this, Maria, under a Bush presidency, I will no longer look at the participation rate. I vow to go by the unemployment rate. And when I get into office, that will be really low. But I have to add, if a Democrat follows me, then I think we should go back to the participation rate. That is my vow. Then again, if I was Jeb Bush, I think I'd have stuck that landing on that hilarious Washington, Iowa versus Washington, D.C. thing. Right? In Washington, D.C., the first family lives in the White House. In Washington, Iowa... Stephen Connie first live in a blue house. You know what I'm talking about, Stephen Connie. They're right here. Am I right? In Washington D.C., there is a black and white thing that doesn't do much. They call it a panda, and it lives in the zoo. In Washington, Iowa, there is a black and white thing that doesn't do much. It's that old TV above the bar at McSwiggins. You know what I'm talking. Stephen Connie know what I'm talking about. Rabbit ears. Come on, it's 2015, people. In Washington D.C., there are lobbyists hoping for tax breaks. In Washington, Iowa, at McGregor's Model Train Shop and Diner. Hobbyists are hoping for pancakes. They're not lobbyists hoping for tax breaks. Thank you all so much. Jeb can fix it. Good night, try the veal. It's the model train shop and diner special. I won the debate. And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi enjoys the Joan London omelet. It's made with 50-year-old eggs and a nose for news. Executive producer Andy Bowers points out that the tax code has more words than the entire Harry Potter series put together, yet you still can't deduct a wand of destiny. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash slategist. We tweet a lot at slategist. The gist, I prefer not to cite unemployment rate or participation rate, but the less known, wish you weren't participating rate. Which percent of the workforce does the average American wish would lose their job, depending on how much interaction you might have had with cable companies or airline ticket counters or the master of Silliman College at Yale? This rate has hovered around 28% for quite some time. Though the proliferation of debate moderators is an employment category that's now threatening to push the wish you didn't participate rate up to the low 30s. Umperu deperu duperu, and thanks for listening. Vanity Fair's Little Gold Men podcast brings you the latest updates from the campaign trail. The Oscar campaign, that is. Will the voters choose the establishment favorite? It's Spielberg and it's Disney. You know, it goes down easy enough. An upstart outsider with a compelling story. There's a chance you show it and the audience just goes, I do not accept Jason Segel as David Foster Wallace. Or has the eventual winner not even entered the race yet? And we were all sitting here this year waiting on these three December movies that yeah. no one has seen. Subscribe to Little Gold Men from Vanity Fair and Panoply.